Hey, welcome to the One Foot Down Podcast, episode number 19. This is our Stanford review. I am Eric Murtaugh back tonight with Paul Rigney. The Irish lose to the Cardinal 27-20, to the end of the regular season with an 8-4 and record. Paul, um, I know we're all pretty upset with this loss, although it wasn't something um, that we didn't see coming, as it were, um, like we did last week. Just give me your overall thoughts with uh, how you thought this game played out. Thanks, Eric. Um, It was disappointing. It was very disappointing because it wasn't one of those games where we were out of it really early on and you could kind of sit back and go, oh, well, we have, we can try and play some of the younger guys. No, uh, Stanford really kept us in the ball game. Um, I also give a lot of credit to our coaching staff for putting together a game plan despite the losses that we had on defense. Uh, despite some of the injuries that we had on offense, and we really made a contest of it. Um, I, I think uh, it it showed that we were pretty thin on D uh, when you look at Tyler Gaffney's stats, uh, especially on the ground. Uh, but we did a good job sort of disrupting Kevin Hogan's rhythm. We got a couple turnovers. We just really couldn't capitalize on the opportunities that Stanford gave us, and I think eventually that's why the score ended up being the way it did, but it was disappointing. I mean, I think we saw, uh, I think anyone could kind of look at the, the what we were dealing with and, and, and say that it was going to be a really uphill battle, uh, but that being said, it, it wasn't as, uh, as bad as I thought it would be. I thought there were some good points. I think uh, uh, we saw some... Uh, some interesting plays, uh, especially that reverse pass uh, with Daniels. But it was uh, it was disappointing. Uh, it wasn't unforeseeable, but it really was interesting to see how we really had a shot to win. We really had a shot a shot to make this a game, and we just couldn't capitalize. Yeah, I thought that uh, Stanford was definitely going to cover this game. I thought that before the game actually started, and then at halftime, I kind of thought that they would run away with it in the second half and win by you know 20 points or so they were leading 14 to 6 at halftime and they seem to have all the momentum uh, let's start back with Reese um, I think we'll probably have the same thoughts as we had last week it seemed like it was a very Reesean effort on his part um, at times carrying the offense um, other times making some really poor throws and then obviously the two backbreaking turnovers to end the uh, the game as it were um, what did you think of Tommy's play Pretty much par for the course, I think. Uh, basically started the game very strong, um, was managing the game really well uh, on that first drive, uh, made some really nice passes, uh, really was getting a lot of zip on his passes, which was very surprising to me. I, I saw a lot more, I hate the word velocity, but if that's the word they use, I'll use it, uh, velocity on his passes. And really was getting some good placement, and then it just kind of fell apart on on the ensuing drives. Uh, he had a tendency to keep throwing back shoulder, and uh, the receivers were running inside hip. Uh, his two passes, the two interceptions were just really killer interceptions, especially when we one was off uh, a Kevin Hogan interception, and the other was after a defense. Our defense made a, a pretty rare stop uh, on Stanford's offense. Really couldn't uh, do anything wrong, and we just it, it just wasn't wasn't great, wasn't terrible. Uh, 
I liked his two touchdown passes. Uh, I liked both play calls, uh, but at the same time, his his interceptions really really hurt the team and and the, and the uh, basically our opportunity to win. That said, um, sub fifty percent or so on uh, sub fifty percent completion percentage uh, didn't crack two hundred. Basically, was at two hundred. Two touchdowns, two picks, pretty much about par for the course. But if you have a stat line like that with Rees, you're going to hope that you're going to get more output on the ground from your running game. And uh, since we really didn't, uh, it, it kind of looks all the more glaring uh, considering, the, considering the performance that uh, he had put together that night. His long on the day was 22 yards. Um, I was hoping maybe they could hit a couple more passes that were longer than that. Um, I think we'll just kind of close the book on Tommy for now and we'll see how he plays in the, the bowl game coming up and we'll end this podcast with some talk about the bowl situation. Um, let's, let's go to the running backs where Terrian Folston led the way with 14 carries. Um, I'm interested to see what you think about the running back situation, Paul. Uh, Terrian now passes Amir Carlisle by quite a large margin for season carries. He has 71. Carlisle had 46. Actually did get a carry yesterday against Stanford. Um, and uh, I think maybe by the end of the bowl game here, Terrian might be close to George Atkinson in terms of overall carries on the season. Um, I think we expected Notre Dame to struggle running, running the ball against Stanford, so uh, I'm not sure how much there is to talk about with that. But uh, do you think Folston has now kind of laid his claim as the number one back? Heading into the bowl game, bowl game, and then into uh, spring practice. Maybe not necessarily the bowl game. I, I'm I'm not sure. I think the the coaching staff is really uh, taking the running back situation a game at a time. Uh, I would not be surprised in this in the least to see Atkinson or McDaniel starting the bowl game, uh, depending on our opponent, depending on the situation. Uh, it may not necessarily be Folston. Uh, I hope it would be. Uh, what I think it does show is it really uh, puts him, puts Folston, Terry and Folston in the driver's seat, at least going into the spring. I think it's pretty obvious uh, going into next spring uh, with the practices that he's going to be lead dog. I, I think he's shown that he's got McDaniel's toughness and he's got... Uh, Atkinson sort of uh, elusiveness. He's really the most complete back we have. Uh, I, what I would like to see is uh, if he's able to get uh, more shots catching the ball out of the backfield because uh, I think that's sort of been our Achilles heel with regards to our running game. Using the pass to set up the run, kind of seeing if those swing passes are able to work. We really haven't had much consistency in that vein. However, I do think that Folston certainly to me would be 1A uh, going into the bowl game. I'm not entirely sure if he'll start, uh, but to me he's definitely the most complete back we have. I even liked his performance last night. Uh, so Not the greatest uh, carries to yardage ratio he had, but did have a 15-yard run, uh, showed some toughness. He was able to pick up some blitzes. There was you know, one of the blitzes that he pretty much whiffed on his man. Uh, I think it was one of Reese's lone sacks that night. However, it was a two-man rush, so I'm not entirely sure he could have done much of anything. 
But that said, I do think Folsom really is lead dog, at least going into the spring, maybe not the bowl game, though. I think it's important to look at the attempts per game because um, Folsom was pretty much injured for a few of the games um, in the early to mid part of the season. If you look at his carries per game, he's really stepped it up here in the last quarter of the season or so, or the last third of the season. Um, he had 11 carries against Air Force, 18 against Navy, uh, only four against Pitt, but then he's had the last two games, 13 against Brigham Young and 14 against Stanford. Um, you know, I think that seems to signal to me that the coaches are really uh, impressed by what he's doing out there. And then if you look at George Atkinson, who I think is really who he's battling now for carries because I think McDaniel's going to stick around, um, especially in the bowl game, as, as someone that the coaching staff trusts. If you look at Atkinson's carries, he's only had uh, double-digit carries twice this season. Um, he had 14 against Oklahoma and 18 against Arizona State. Um, and then from Southern Cal on to the end of the regular season, he's had eight carries, six carries, seven carries, six carries, six carries, and then four carries. Um, mm -hmm. His four carries uh, against Stanford were, the, were his lowest in any game this season. So um, I think that's the one thing I'm, I'm anxious to see in the bowl game and then in the spring practice is how you know, the role of George Atkinson evolves um, with uh, Folston coming up and getting Mark Carries. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. I, I, I think it's also worth mentioning. Um, last night, and I highly recommend following uh, Senior Athletic Director um, John Heisler on Twitter, because he drops a lot of really good stat bombs uh, on Twitter basically sort of tweets out some of the notes and there was one that he sent out last night where the Irish have won 20 straight games rushing the ball 30 or more times and they've lost six straight when rushing the ball less than 30 times and they had 24 carries that said Folson had 14 of them so the I think it says a lot about the coaching staff's trust in Folston when you're going to go take on the number three ranked rushing defense in the country and you're gonna, your lead dog is going to be a true freshman. So I think that, that says uh, a, a lot about the coaching staff's trust in Folston. I think that says a lot about Folston's ability. I, th I think it says that he, and if you looked at the way he was playing last night, he played really fearless, was not afraid to engage uh, on uh, blitzes, uh, was not afraid to engage uh, linebackers uh, when he got past the line of scrimmage. All in all, it was a pretty solid performance for him. I, maybe the, his yardage didn't show it, he didn't get into the end zone, but he did play a pretty strong game to me. Alright, let's take a look at the receivers. Um, TJ Jones and DeVaris Daniels basically had um, very similar games. Jones finished with six catches, 56 yards at a score. Daniels with five catches, 79 yards, and a score as well. Um, Corey Robinson had two catches for 29 yards. Nicholas with two more catches, and James Onawalu with another catch. Um, not a lot of completions really spread around the receiving unit. Um, but what did you think of how they played? I, I was pretty impressed with uh, Daniels' effort, who seems to be uh, coming on strong here after disappearing a little bit in the middle of the season. I think when his Notre Dame's when his Notre Dame career is done, I think DeVars Daniels may be one of the all-time uh, Notre Dame receivers. He Whoa. plays really, really strong. He has uh, great hands. Uh, he's got basically he's got a break a breakaway ability 
from defensive backs, even when he was matched up pretty much all night with, I believe it was Alex Carter, uh, for most of the night was on him, and he still was able to, to get the yardage that he did. Uh, I loved his touchdown catch. Uh, I loved the play call. I, I really think that even uh, even though Jones had one more reception than Daniels, I think Daniels has really shown uh, really showed me a lot more last night uh, than Jones did, although I think that may have also been a product of uh, the coaching staff keeping a lot of blocking backs in uh, to sort of protect against Scov and I think it was Murphy and a couple of the other Stanford defenders, and they were really worried about the blitzes. So despite all that, when you're looking, and it's it's funny when you look at the... Uh, uh, all their catches, Jones long of 20, Daniels long of 20, Robinson long of 22, Nicholas long of 19. So they were all in the same uh, yardage area, the same yardage mark. And I think it just goes to show that uh, our receivers have pretty much played c as consistent and as well uh, all season as any unit on that side of the football, I think. There's a question I'll throw at you. Um, sure. Concerned about Chris Brown? Given the talent around, yeah, uh, I I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I'm not that worried about him yet. I, I think he has shown that he's a when he gets on the field that he can really contribute and make a difference. But we did see uh, a couple. We did see an attempt at Procise last night. We did see an attempt at Fuller. Uh, that sort of ugly interception near the end, but. We didn't see a lot of Brown. Um, I don't know uh, if the the depth behind him may come up and catch him. He's certainly going to be one of the players to watch into the spring, uh, or at least leading up to the bull practice. I would hope there's a spot for him because he has shown he may be one of the fastest receivers we have. Uh, and, you know, if there isn't a spot for him in the receiving core, maybe there's a spot for him somewhere else on the field. I, I know... We could probably use some help in the return game, whether it's punting uh, with Jones leaving or even on kick returns where George Jackinson really hasn't shown me much uh, and plays way too timid back there. So maybe there is a spot for him somewhere. That said, I'm not really that worried about him yet. Uh, we'll s it'll be interesting to see where his place is come springtime, maybe even come up coming up to the bowl game. Yeah, I'm interested to see what his snap counts are this season. Um, I'm looking at his stats right now. He has three catches in the last nine games. Uh, he caught seven balls in the first three games, and he hasn't had a catch since the Navy game when he had one catch. And, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to tell watching on television and not being able to chart all the plays, but it's, it definitely seems like Fuller, Robinson, and Anwalu and maybe even Procise past, have passed him right now in terms of snap counts. It's interesting, especially when we've had so many injuries and in so many positions that our wide receivers have pretty much been the healthiest unit all year. I don't think we've consistently lost players uh, the way we have on uh, the defensive side of the ball and the offensive line. So when you've got somebody like Chris Brown that may not uh, contribute as much, when players, when the, you have that sheer amount of depth and a player will pass him, those opportunities really go away, especially when you've got somebody like Tommy Rees behind center who has a comfort level 
essentially with a, a trio of receivers. I mean, it's pretty much a given that he's going to look at Jones, he's going to look at Daniels, and he's going to look at Nicholas when he's back there in the passing game. Those are going to be probably 90% of the time his top three progressions. Uh, when you get to that check down area, who that extra receiver is going to be, that's where you would like to see somebody like Chris Brown step up because he could easily run uh, the fly route. He could easily uh, run a quick slant or drag across the field. But we're seeing a lot more of Fuller in process. I think I'm with you. I think it would be interesting to see the snap count uh, in the last three games for those three players to see if there's a type of trend trend line with regards to uh, participation between those three. Alright, uh, do you have anything to say about the tight ends? I don't really know. I thought Nicholas played pretty well. Um, there was a dangerous pass from Reese to Koyak. I think that was on the second to last drive right before his first interception. Did anything about their play stick out at all? Not really. It seemed to me that the coaching staff was keeping our uh, our tight ends in. I think they were worried about Scov. I think they were worried about uh, blitzes coming from the secondary because it's pretty obvious that the Stanford coaching staff knew that Rees really couldn't elude players the way uh, you would expect somebody, you know, like Kelly or some of the other Pac-10 or Pac-12, sorry, uh, quarterbacks to do. I think when you look at it, the fact that Nicholas was able to get a couple catches I, th I think is actually pretty impressive. Uh, I am with you that that seam pass to Koyak really was dangerous. Uh, if it wasn't going to be intercepted, it really was going to set Koyak up to basically take a pretty nasty hit from the safety. So it's one of those things where uh, taking a, a, a line from one of the OFD film segments, it's over, move on. <laughs> so on the offensive line, we had uh, Zach Martin, Chris Watt, Hegarty, Hanredi, and Stanley start the game. Chris Watt goes down, I think, towards the end of the first quarter, if I'm not mistaken, with a knee injury. It looks like his season and his career is going to be over. Um, I think the early word on that injury, it's pretty serious. It's a pretty tough break for uh, any senior graduate student to get injured like that so late in the season. It can affect your uh, NFL stock. Um, so it looks like they're going to be rolling into the uh, the bowl game with Martin. Um, and I'm assuming Hanrady, who switched from right guard over to left guard, and they put Steve Almer in at right guard. So um, I think we'll go Martin, Hanrady, Haggerty, Elmer, and Stanley in the bowl game. What did you think of the offensive line in this game? You know, they didn't really do too well in the uh, the run game, but they were pretty strong in the pass protection like they've been all season. I agree. I think it was a pretty consistent performance. Uh, they did give up the one sack. Uh, there were a couple other times where Rees was hurried, but it really they really did so when... It was more of a confusing Tommy Reese at the line, and he sort of audibled into the wrong protection scheme to me than the O-line completely whiffing on blocks. I think our O-line or this O-line has been one of the best Notre Dame offensive lines we've had in recent memory. They really are one of the major reasons why we have as many wins as we do because they've been able to keep Tommy Reese upright for a large majority of the season, and they've really been one of the units that has put us in a position to win football games. Uh, 
I'm 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 disappointed that that we lost uh, lost a strong uh, offensive lineman that we did. Uh, however, I do think that going with the whole next man in mantra, that I'm not that concerned about Elmer being in at right guard now. I'm not really that concerned um, about uh, Hanratty moving to the left side. It's really a, a, a just a a deep unit that we have there. So it'll be interesting to see how it pans out going into the bowl game. Um, however, uh, I, I do think they did have a, a, a very good, uh, very strong performance uh, despite essentially the adversity they had to face. On the other side of the ball, the defensive line had a bit of a rough outing. Um, they didn't really get a whole lot of pressure on Hogan. And... Uh, Hogan's able to run away from some of that pressure anyway. Um, you know, it's not all on the defensive line, and I wrote this in my recap, but, um, you know, Stanford ran for 260-some yards, uh, 261 to be exact. It's not a, a great day at the office. I think we can cut them some slack with the injuries and, uh, you know, some of the, the play at safety, in particular, uh, Matthias Farley, for example, but... Uh, what do you what do you think of their effort in this game? When you're a three four defense and you're matched up against a, a power running football team, you're really not going to see a lot of uh, not a lot of records on the stat sheet for a D line. You're going to expect to see a lot more when it comes to. Uh, when it comes to the linebacking core, uh, you're going to see a lot more when it comes to uh, the safety play. So it, when you look at uh, the the total tackles and you see that, you know, oh, Fox, Collinsworth, Calabrese, Farley, well, there's your two middle linebackers and there's your two safeties. So that would make a lot of sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't think uh, you can really put a lot of stock uh, in... And it, 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 you really do have to take into account the the players that we were losing, that we lost that game, uh, that we had out, you, the injuries that we had on the line. Uh, but when you look at sort of the D line, you know, Day with four tackles, Jones with four tackles, Tuit with three, uh, and he also had a lot of uh, uh, disruptions. Uh, but it it was one of those things where Stanford started doing. Uh, what they do best, and that's run the football. And they were able to basically overpower uh, our middle linebacking core, especially the safeties. And it seemed like they did it a little bit better in the second half. At least that was my uh, perception of everything. But um, Agreed. I, I think that was colored by the second-to-last and the third-to-last Stanford series where they limited them to 10 yards on four carries, uh, and Notre Dame ended, ended up turning the ball over in those subsequent series where they got the ball, but um, I think they ended up giving up o over 160 yards in the second half, so um, you know, it didn't really, the, the stats didn't really match up with my perception, but you know, I thought the biggest problem in that game was they're giving up far too many runs of 10 plus yards. I think there was at least seven in the second half where Stanford had uh, a run over 10 yards, and this is something they did really well last year. They were stopping guys at the line of scrimmage, and they were getting zero yards. And in this game, it seemed like Gaffney, in, in particular, was getting stopped at the 
line of scrimmage or maybe for one yard, and he was just fighting for like three yards. And they just always seemed to be getting into like those nice second and seven, second and six situations, and then c- combined with the uh, ripping off those longer runs, it was, it was a pretty tough day for the defense, I thought. So let's take a look at the linebackers here. Um, I thought Dan Fox played one of his better games of his career in this game. Um, thought he missed some some run fits, but uh, thought he did a good job chasing down a couple runs on the perimeter. And he had a ton of tackles in the game. I think he had 15, and this is back-to-back really good games for him, which is encouraging, um, although he has one more game in his career. What do you think of the linebackers overall? Uh, I'm with you. I When you have 15 tackles as a linebacker, obviously you're doing something really well. I thought Fox played really strong. Uh, I think he was really one of the the guys that you saw all night that was really engaging uh, first contact with, uh, with players. Uh, I'm not that overly impressed with how Calabrese played, uh, but I, I was really impressed with Fox. Uh, w- when you look at it, you know, seven solo tackles for a linebacker that's played as long as Fox has in a Notre Dame uniform, you really have to sort of tip your hat to him for having that many in, in basically what is his final game going into the bowl. Now, if I was going to ask you right now, do you think the linebackers are going to be better next year as a unit than they were this mm. year, would you say yes or no? I think Shembo is kind of one of those interesting players to kind of reflect on in his career. Um, I think you could probably make the case that he's played really well in his career, but then, you know, there's been a lot of times where we really haven't seen him play at a very high level, and he kind of disappears for a little bit. But I think he's got two solid players coming in behind him and filling in his shoes, and um, hopefully Grace can come back from his injury and of course there's Jalen Smith at the dog position do you think this do you think the linebacker unit um, across all four positions can step it up next year I would hope so I I think it's going to be one of the more interesting positions to look at Uh, essentially to me does Jalen Smith really stay in that dog position does the staff consider moving him to the middle I don't know Uh, with the talent that we have coming in with the talent that we have behind coming up uh, you would hope to a degree that they would they may not play as disciplined uh, but they may be stronger to me they may be a, a stronger and faster core than we have this season I, I think we really have seen issues with overall athleticism in the linebacking core especially in games like Michigan especially in games like last night where they either weren't as quick or they weren't as strong as as their opponent however we saw pieces and we saw glimpses of that last season so we know our defense has that capability we know that in a player like Jalen Smith we really could see uh, a Manti Teo-esque type of linebacker maybe not necessarily in the middle but he's certainly going to be uh, a force to be reckoned with on the outside if he do- if the staff does leave him at the dog spot but it's going to be uh, up to the coaching staff, given the players that we have, to sort of create a unit that doesn't have as many question marks uh, as this unit uh, this year did. I, I think, again, just 
athleticism and speed. And when you're in a 3-4 defense, you really need to have uh, a proper combination of both. And where you have pieces of power and pieces of strength and pieces of speed with guys like Fox, with guys like Calabrese, you really are throwing a lot at them. You're asking a lot of that lineback- of the linebacking core, in some cases, to do what they can't do. I think, and last night is a perfect example of it. When you had, you were, the basically Bob Diaco had dialed up the defense so that uh, the second level of Fox and Calabrese were going to be the guys that were going to stop the run, especially guys like Collinsworth. Collinsworth, I think when, you probably remember this, the one Gaffney run where he basically came up and hit Gaffney, I guess, maybe two yards in the backfield, and Gaffney was still able to fall forward for two or three yards. And that's so, that's solely a strength issue when you've got a running back that's able to completely bowl over and just carry a tackler like that. You really don't want to, to put your defense in a position where that happens. I don't think we'll see a lot of that next season. Uh, we may see a lot of... Uh, sort of lapses in judgment, if you want to call it that. But I do think overall that the the linebacking core next year will be stronger and faster than this year. Yeah, I do remember that Collinsworth play. I think that was a third down. He stopped him right at the line of scrimmage. and I almost took my eyes off the screen for a second thinking that it was a good tackle, and then I looked up a split second later and I saw that Gaffney had pushed forward for the first down. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. the first time Collinsworth has been run over this season. Um, It'd be interesting to see if he gets a fifth year or not. Um, probably trending towards yes, but I think the scholarship numbers are pretty tight. So let's look at that secondary. I actually thought, you know, that play aside, Collinsworth played pretty decently, not just because he had a lot of tackles and he had the interception. Um, I think I would say the same thing about Bennett Jackson. Um, you know, he had the interception, which I thought was a great play on his behalf. And uh, he also had a nice breakup on the other side of the field um, in a key moment during the game. What did you think of the the secondary in this game? I know Farley probably is not really worth piling on at this point, but uh, you know I, I thought the, the the secondary played decently, except for uh, in some instances in run support, mostly because of Farley. It when Farley really is sort of the Tommy Rees of the defense. You can only say so much about him before you start to get redundant. So I, I'm with you in that regard. I mean, there's there's really not much more we can say about his play. Uh, we know what we're getting with him. We know the, the style of safety that we're going to get when he's back there. We know there's going to be uh, uh, events uh, and plays where he's going to either miss a tackle, miss a coverage. Uh, Stanford's first touchdown being one of those. It, that said, I'm with you. I do think that our secondary played pretty strongly. I, I do have to I give him a lot of credit for breaking up the pass right at halftime uh, that Hogan had thrown into the end zone instead of you know going for a pick and going for you know getting that 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 interception number and your statue went right up and, and slapped the ball down. A lot of credit to him for that. I thought Bennett Jackson played pretty admirable admirable, but again, when you look at what we were able to do uh, against Stanford's receiving core, we knew the dynamic player uh, that Stanford had in Ty Montgomery, and we only held him to three catches and 46 yards, and we kept him out of the end zone. So obviously our secondary was doing something right. However, 
That also may be a product of the fact that Stanford was doing so well running the football that they didn't have to worry about it. Because Hogan, in of of himself, only attempted 18 passes. He completed 12 of them. So there really wasn't a lot asked of the secondary to do in the passing game. There was a lot more asked of them maybe in the running game, and that's where we saw sort of the weaknesses at the safety position uh, that we saw. I... I may say maybe this may have been one of Bennett Jackson's better games this season. It may have been his best game this season. Uh, I thought Kivari Russell also played very well. Uh, there were a couple times where he gave his receiver a little bit too much cushion. Uh, however, I do think uh, overall it was a pretty strong uh, performance by a unit that's pretty much been beleaguered and and uh, and blamed for a lot this season. What do you think about Stanford in this game? I think uh, they've been one of the more hot topics all season long that we've liked to talk about. Um, I think it kind of bothers people that they're so good and uh, have high academic standards like Notre Dame. What do you think about the way they played? It seemed to me like uh, if if we were Stanford fans, we were probably a little bit disappointed and frustrated that we were letting Notre Dame hang around. Do you think they were kind of feeling that same way? I hate to say it, and uh, but I'll say it anyway. I really think Stanford was looking ahead to the Pac-12 championship game. I hate to say it. But when you look at the game plan that the Stanford coaches had really laid out, it only asked two things of their team, to be able to run the football and to be able to put the game on Tommy Reese's shoulders. So they took out the running game, uh, which they've essentially done all season uh, to their opponents, and they uh, put the game on Tommy Reese, which we saw how that turned out, and they were able to run the football. They asked a lot of their offensive line, a lot of Tyler Gaffney. I mean, 33 carries for Gaffney. That's a lot to me. That's sort of what we're approaching Wisconsin-level stats when we're, at, when we're looking at running back stats. Uh, but they really didn't have to do much, and I think it was a, a really vanilla game plan by them so that they were able to minimize injuries, that they were able to rest uh, a lot of players. I think when you, when you look at a team like Arizona State that they're going to be playing in the Pac-12 championship, that's a very electric team, even though Notre Dame was able to control them. In fact, I think, if anything, David Shaw may actually put together a defensive game plan that looks a lot like what Notre Dame did uh, to control uh, Arizona State's pace. But I think we saw a really vanilla game plan out of Stanford to to minimize injuries, to, to focus on fundamentals, to rest themselves, to, to be able to put themselves in a position where they could uh, win the Pac-12 championship and get to the Rose Bowl. I'm interested to see how well they do next year. Uh, since you mentioned Gaffney getting all those carries, um, he's one of the players they're losing next year. They'll also lose their... Uh, Second leading rusher, Wilkerson. Um, they're graduating their fullback, Hewitt, who I don't think he he either didn't play at all or he didn't see very many snaps yesterday. Maybe that plays a part into you know, what you were saying about them looking ahead and not really throwing everything at Notre Dame. He's usually a big part of their offense. Uh, he usually plays a lot. He wasn't out there very often. Um, they're also graduating their center, uh, Wilkes, and a right guard, Dancer. They do have... Um, their left guard, David Yankee, he has a fifth year of eligibility. I 
could probably make the case that he's their best offensive lineman. So uh, I'm sure he'll get a long look at the NFL and everything. But, uh, you know, Stanford's a lot like Notre Dame, so it wouldn't really surprise me if he comes back. Um, and then their other, their right tackle, Cameron Fleming, also has a fifth year of eligibility, so he could come back as well. Um, they have a couple of five-star linemen who are kind of waiting in the wings, and Kyle Murphy and Josh Garnett to fill some of those holes. So uh, next year is definitely going to be pretty interesting, at least offensively, for uh, Stanford. Um, I think you can't just brush aside them losing both of their running backs and their fullbacks in that type of offense. Would you agree? I agree completely. Anytime you lose skill position players, you're really going to have to see what kind of depth you have. Uh, with regards to Notre Dame, we see that we've got any number of running backs that we can lean on. We really haven't seen a lot of that out of Stanford. I think it's also going to be interesting to see if Shaw himself stays. I, I With the, the success that Jim Harbaugh has had in uh, the NFL uh, with the demeanor and the success that Shaw himself has had uh, on a national stage with Stanford that he's able to achieve the results that he has. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there are some NFL teams that end up calling, I, I, or at least strongly considering him. I know if I were an NFL GM, <laughs> I, I would definitely consider him. Uh, given what he's been able to do there. But I'm with you. Anytime that you get a, 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 a skill position, a, it, it's very easy to look and say, oh, they're going to lose Gaffney, they're going to be weak. But when you've got players underneath him that are able to step up, that would sort of render that statement moot. We haven't seen that out of Stanford. Uh, I think... They're going to ask a lot more of Kevin Hogan next year. Uh, I I've, I said it, I think, in, uh, in in a couple of the open threads, and I said it uh, last night in a, in a couple of the in-game chats, that I really am not sold on Hogan's delivery uh, with the football. He's kind of got this odd three-quarters delivery, almost like a Brett Favre without without the just the, the sheer strength behind it. Uh, so if they put a lot more... Uh, if they ask a lot more of Hogan, uh, I think they're going to struggle. I think it's going to be very interesting to see also if you have a if a guy like Yankee does come back. I, I like with Notre Dame, these guys are probably going to put in for for draft scores and see where they end up, uh, and then they'll make an appropriate decision. But Stanford is really going to be one of those teams that may have a very tumultuous offseason or the, or nothing may happen. They may have all the players come back. Shaw comes back. May, he may sign a contract extension. Who knows? Uh, it, it really is going to be one of those teams, especially when you're looking at Notre Dame opponents, someone that we're really going to have to keep our eye on. And even defensively, I think it might even be more interesting to watch what Stanford does uh, next year. They're definitely losing Gardner, who missed this weekend's game with a torn pectoral muscle. His career's over. Um, they're losing Trent Murphy and the outside linebacker, Shane Scoff at middle linebacker, Browning and Amanon at cornerback, and I believe Ed Reynolds has a fifth year, but I, I'm pretty sure he's going into the NFL. Uh, he's probably, if not one of the best safeties in the in the Pac-12 and maybe in the whole entire country. So, uh, you know, they're definitely cycling out all of these uh, Jim Harbaugh players here. So, and they they've recruited well. Give them credit. They have 
you know, a handful of really nice prospects they are going to be filling some starting positions. But, uh, you know, that's definitely going to be something interesting to watch, especially guys like Gardner, Murphy, and Scoff. I mean, that's like, I don't think any one of those guys are at a tail level, but I think combined they're, that's those are three big pieces they're going to be missing next year. And I, and I really do believe that Stanford and their dominance over the last three or four seasons has really been built off of this defense. So uh, I'm really interested to see, uh, you know, what happens there as well. I agree completely. All right, so Notre Dame finishes the season 8-4, and four, Paul. Uh, who knows whenever the bowl announcement's going to be made. It seems like everyone has Notre Dame slated for that pinstripe bowl inside Yankee Stadium in the borough of Bronx in New York City. Um, what We kind of talked a little bit before we came on air here on this podcast about our thoughts on the bowl game. What are you looking for in terms of... Uh, give me your point of view, basically. What do you want to see? Where do you want to see Notre Dame play and uh, and why? Ideally, uh, I, again, when we were talking about this off-air, uh, you had mentioned somewhere warm. Uh, I'm with you. Uh, I, I would like to see us sort of venture outside our comfort zone. Uh, New York to us, the Pinstripe Bowl is the, the bowl game in Yankee Stadium, for those who don't know. Uh, it's, I think, why it's called the Pinstripe Bowl. Uh, I'm not entirely sure that's the reason. However getting us somewhere where we haven't been this season I think would be somewhere uh, w- would be good for for Notre Dame uh, as on a program level when you've got the ability to play at night in prime time somewhere warm would be your ideal uh, the pinstripe bowl I believe is during the day uh, and it's gonna be cold so it it's not gonna be a game that necessarily may get a lot of eyeballs uh, it's not a game where the coaching staff can use that area to sort of network and go out and recruit, uh, especially when we're targeting guys in the South and we're targeting guys in the Southwest, especially in the Midwest when you're sort of stuck in that New York area. There's not much on a staff level that you can do. I would like to see, uh, I've heard rumors that the the Russell Athletic Bowl may open up for us. I don't know if that's a possibility. Uh, I've heard and, and read other possibilities concerning, you know, maybe the Texas Bowl, uh, maybe somewhere one of the San Diego Bowls. I'm not entirely sure. However, if we do play the Pinstripe Bowl, uh, I think it's certainly going to be a home game for Notre Dame. I think you're going to see a lot of Irish fans there, so it may uh, bode well for the morale. It may pump the team up uh, to be surrounded by so many uh, diehard Notre Dame fans. Uh and I was looking at the opponents, and one of them has Stan. Uh, I'm sorry, not Stanford. One of them has Houston, and I've read another with Cincinnati. Both of those games, I, I think, would give the Irish, uh, at least the coaching staff, a, a proper opponent to sort of gauge the talent. Uh, especially when you've got a bowl game like this, you're not playing in the BCS, you're not playing for the national championship, so you've got a team and you've got a program where you can really build for next year and you can utilize a lot of players uh, that you've played this year, that you've burned their red shirts, uh, that you can set up for the next season. So I would like to see maybe some Max Redfield at safety 
uh, in the bowl game. I would like to see a lot of Tarian Fulston. I would like to see a lot of Cam McDaniel uh, sort of setting the team up and and getting some players in uh, positions that they may not have been. Uh, obviously, you want to try and win the game. However, you want to set yourself up for the offseason. You want to have a strong offseason. So obviously, your first priority is going to be winning the football game. But at the same time, you want to get players uh, ready for the spring. You want to get guys uh, ready to contribute on a level that they may not have this season. So it'll be interesting to see how the bowl games pan out. I especially with Alabama losing this weekend, it kind of sort of threw the entire BCS into a lurch. So if I'm Notre Dame, I just sort of sit back and wait uh, to see what, what opportunities come our way. But if, if we all, as we all know, you know, everyone from uh, maybe the little Caesars pizza bowl all the way to the pinstripe bowl, the, these sort of mid to lower level bowls are going to be looking at to try and fill a slot with a team like Notre Dame. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what the team wants to do. Uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, our opponent, our matchup, and, and I certainly look forward to it. I love college bowl season. See, I'm on the other, on the other end of the spectrum there. I <laughs> really don't like the bowl season at all. Uh, definitely looking forward to the playoffs, although it's not going to really change the bowl system all that much. Um, is there any chance we can go to the point, point set bowl? I'm looking at the the bowl schedule here, and it's Army who doesn't qualify versus the Mountain West. And I'm also got um, Jason Kirk from SB Nation his uh, his latest bowl schedule up in his bowl rankings, and he has Ohio playing Fresno State. Um, that could be a pretty good game if Notre Dame could go out west to San Diego and play Fresno State. That's a a 9:30 start Eastern time on mm -hmm. the day after Christmas. The thing I think about. Uh, with the Poinsettia Bowl is, if I'm not mistaken, uh, you're seeing that they have that, uh, I think it's Ohio, uh, the ESPN one has Toledo. I believe they may have some sort of secondary MAC tie-in. Oh, uh, it, it'll be, it, again, it's one of those things where, is the Poinsettia able to get out of that commitment to, to fill a slot with Notre Dame? Because, I mean, are, are we really, nothing against MAC level programs. Uh, they're, they're, they're sort of the little, but uh, they're sort of the little giants uh, of uh, of the college football world, where they are. They have a very uh, small yet very passionate fan base. But when you've got a national program like Notre Dame that would fill those stadiums, uh, that would fill those seats, and they would able to be able to sell those tickets, uh, if you're a bowl, are you able to somehow get out of that that commitment that you sort of put yourself in? It'll be very interesting to see because. I'm, I'm with you uh, when it comes to sort of the overall confusion regarding the bowls because you see these tie-ins and then you look like you'll see something that'll say you know ACC versus whoever and then you'll look at the matchup and it'll be neither of those conferences. So it'll be interesting to see what the overall uh, tie secondary tie-ins are with these bowls, whether Notre Dame's able to sort of get out of uh, and and get out of maybe some of the commitments that they themselves are in and, and fill a spot that may be, uh, may be pleasing to all sides. All right, so uh, for now I guess we'll just kind of presume that Notre Dame will be in the New Era Pinstripe Bowl. Um, that's on December 28th. That's a noon start Eastern time, so uh, nice and early for Saturday. Um, I think that'll wrap up our 19th episode of the OFD podcast. Anything else from you, Paul, before we get out of here? 
Make sure you uh, check us out on onefootdown.com. Thanks, everyone, for subscribing, and uh, we look forward to sort of if we have a podcast next week, I'll look forward to look forward to that. Look forward to uh, the college bowl season. And uh, thanks everyone for listening, subscribing, and uh, basically being part of this sort of community that everyone uh, we're all fans. Uh, we all love Notre Dame. We may have different levels of it, but we're just all excited about uh, about the sport, about the Irish. And uh, this season may not have turned out the way we wanted, but Hey, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Very well said. I couldn't have said it better myself. All right. That's going to wrap up our 19th episode. Uh, we'll probably be back next week. If not, we'll be back in two weeks, probably talking a lot of the, these crazy bowls. Um, I'm Eric. That's Paul, and we are out here. Take care. Adios.